So JV, I was thinking the other day about what self-care rituals you do religiously on a regular basis. Mm, that's a good one. It's funny because I actually just recently started a new self-care ritual mm-hmm. and that is gua sha. What's that? <laughs> Which is this gua like, sha? Mm-hmm. It's um, actually Su Chin. Um, oh. Su Chin Pak introduced me to it, but it's basically this kind of like facial uh, ritual where you use, I actually have it pulled up here. Um, obviously, oh, people cool. who are listening and can't see it. It's basically like these massagers mm-hmm. that you, and they're made of jade, like oh, jade stones. Yeah, and you I've like, seen them. yeah, you like use them to scrape your face sort of. And it like, and it it's like a spatula with- for your face. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have it, you can actually use like a wooden spoon or like oh. a metal spoon. And, um, and basically it like tenderizes your jawline, your mm-hmm. neckline, kind of the back of your neck. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'll do is like uh, heat them up a little bit. So they're kind of warm and it just Ooh. like melts the tension in my neck and the knots oh, in my neck and jaw. So nice. yeah. And I get, cause I get so much tension in my jaw like I oh like, I have so much tension in my jaw too oh, it's horrible yeah so like really working that has been a lovely before I go to sleep practice and it's actually really helped my sleep and you know I've mm-hmm. said so many times that I've like I get really poor sleep so that's one major one and then I would say just I indulge in candy ah, that's awesome <laughs> and chocolate what kind of candy and- are you like a sugar or chocolate both. I just Bubbies bought a chocolate. package oh. of Almond Joys for uh, like a little bit of both, but I, I do also love sour candy. And it's yeah. just sometimes I think like having those little indulgences are forms of self-care, right? It's mm-hmm. just like, as long as you don't, it doesn't go out of proportion and it like goes insanely wild. But um, yeah, the, those two things have been, they're like very opposite. Like one's very <laughs> relaxing. One of them is like sugar rush. But, a little reward. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about you? Work. Oh my gosh. Um, I actually rotate through so many different rituals. I think the ones that I have been pretty religious about recently is drinking a green smoothie in the morning. Mm, yeah. Um, it just makes me feel great. <laughs> and I'm not hungry in the morning. I don't know. There, I know friends of mine wake up and they're hungry and they have to eat right away. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm not hungry and I don't get hungry until like afternoon. And so, wow. like just having a yeah, just having a green smoothie in the morning makes me feel um, great. Um, what else? I. I mean, skincare is a big thing for me. I almost can't say that it's a self-care ritual because it's just something that if I don't do, I feel bad about. Mm. Does that make sense? It's just so normalized in your routine. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's like I have to do it to feel like, oh, it's like a normal day. Which is what honestly is the goal, right? For like these self-care rituals to just like be part of our lives. And that self-care is so ingrained in us as a daily practice that it's not it's not something special. It's like, no, we're, we're taking care of ourselves and then this is how we do it. So. Yeah. And actually it's a really good barometer for me. Like I have like a handful of self-care rituals that I do, um, that I like to do on a daily basis, but I know that I'm kind of slipping Mm -hmm. or should I say like, Oh, I'm going through something Mm -hmm. when I stop doing some of the rituals. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. It's just like, oh, self-awareness. Like, okay, I don't, 
have time for this right now, mm-hmm. but yeah. Well, I'm so glad you said the word self-awareness because excited to reflect on our own self-awareness in this episode as we... It's a meta episode. <laughs> it's a meta episode. As we ask each other a little bit about our lives. So excited to, to dive in. Welcome to our podcast, Are You There Universe, hosted by me, Jamie Wu, and Sunny Yu, two high-achieving Asian-American women recovering from burnout. Join us as we embark on a journey to reclaim ourselves and inner power, unpack and explore the transformative nature of social change and justice at the level of the spirit, and heal our past traumas by exploring our present. Because when you heal yourself, you heal the world. When you evolve, the world evolves with you. So Sunny, for our episode this time around, we agreed to pose a few different questions for each other Mm -hmm. um, just to learn a little bit more about each other and our friendship, but also perhaps to gain insight and wisdom from our individual practices and rituals as as we talked (laughs) about earlier. So I'm curious um, if you could share a little bit about something that was really unexpected that came out of this podcast or unexpected that you gained or learned in this podcast experience and perhaps something that you could share, you know, with our listeners. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I think the biggest takeaway and learning that I've done throughout the podcast is realizing these norms that I've been taking for granted that really are only in academia Mm. <laughs> oh yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> well first of all uh speaking in jargon right like using mm-hmm. words that uh are loaded and mm-hmm. probably should be better defined and stuff in the podcast that was something that I realized I remember when you used the word polemical and I was like yeah what does that mean <laughs> And I'm coming from someone who is also like getting a master's degree in communication, right? And I'm like, oh gosh, if I don't know this, then yeah, so I totally hear what you're saying, but go on, go on. (laughs) And then the second thing is um, we had a conversation about how I use the words actually and something else. What was it? It was like, well, for me or actually. Well, for me. Okay. (laughs) So I realized that like those hedging comments are very common in academia Mm. and it's because I just recently was in an academic like meeting, and it's so surprising how after you hear like multiple people talk, it sounds like every single person has like a contrary point to the other, but actually they're all in agreement. Like that's like you know what I mean. So it's just like oh, this is this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that I've come to embody, where academics just talk in this kind of like contrary way, mm-hmm. even though they're agreeing with the person that they're talking to. Right. Um, it's it, that's so fascinating to me because I think language, you know, really really impacts emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 it varies according to the spaces that we're in, right? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes 
our intention doesn't necessarily align with our impact, right? Like you're intending to agree with me and everything, but on my end, I'm like, well, she keeps saying actually, and it sounds like she's disagreeing with me. And, but, but her words then sound like she is agreeing with me. Yeah. It's like, I'm confused as to what's happening. (laughs) Right. And so it's just this fascinating kind of practice of how our language really changes in the different spaces we're in. And, you know, especially for someone who's in academia, maybe even for someone who's in politics, someone who's in Hollywood, someone who, um, you know, is, is an engineer, like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine the types of tonal references, body language, just words that people use that will definitely come across differently, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has, I think the norms that I'm speaking to in academia specifically is that people are expected to shed light on something different each time. Like you're Mm. trying to offer something different that the other person did not, even though 90% of what you're saying is like repeating what the other person (laughs) said, right? You're just like, okay, but here's my little different perspective. Mm -hmm. That's like adding to the other one. But but then it's not a space where, like, I imagine that in a setting like Ready, Set, you would learn or it would be valuable to learn how to just uplift somebody else's mm-hmm. comment, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, just mm-hmm. affirm it. That's your role. Like, that's value added just doing that. Right, right. And just to um, remind folks, if this is your first time listening, Ready, Set is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm that I am a part-time facilitator for. And yeah, we do some workshops on inclusive communications, just that topic, right? Of like, how do we interact with one another, affirm one another? I think one of the key ones, and this is, I'm not saying this has anything to do with you, but when people commit microaggressions, oftentimes they do so um, without intent, right. To do so, mm-hmm. right. Of course, like everyone has good intentions when you're calling a black person articulate, you're probably trying to give them a compliment, <laughs> but it's actually comes <laughs> off as a microaggression because it really others them. Right. And, um, and the common microaggression I received in high school is like, Oh, I'm really good at math because I'm Asian. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, I know someone's trying to compliment me, but you know, when you hear, when you hear that, like once or twice, it's not a big deal, but when you hear it over and over and over again, through your, like your entire adolescence, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. And it's in the <laughs> same like- place. Like you're just like, it compounds over time. Yeah. And so what we like to say is like, you know, you can recognize your intent, but you got to own your impact. And so mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's like, I'm sorry, how can I make this better? Right. Rather than I'm sorry, but I didn't mean to do that. Or I didn't mean to do this, but I'm so sorry that you felt that way. Oh God. And that that has nothing to do with what your experiences with, you know, the podcast or academia, but just like that kind of disconnect between intent and impact and just recognizing that, you know, there might be a disconnect there, regardless of what you think, you know, it really depends on, on how the other person is taking it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And having that space and container for that change to happen. Yeah, that's my biggest takeaway. What about you? Is there anything you would have done differently about the podcast or any tips or tricks you have? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, gosh, this was such an exploratory adventure. Um, What would I have done differently? I mean, I think we had some growing pains, you know, Mm. and this is fascinating to me too, because we reconnected as friends after years of not interacting with each other, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, not only are we diving into this sort of creative partnership, but it's also like relearning 
what it means to be in friendship with one another, right? Mm-hmm. Like getting you, like reminding myself, like of you know your personality and my personality when I'm with you, and just how we approach different things, and whether mm-hmm. we're direct or indirect, or you know how we come to the table. And so mm-hmm. I think we ended up doing this later on, but and this is a good tip or trick for anyone who is starting a creative partnership with a friend is like really setting expectations out from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Of like, this is how I communicate. My personality is I'm a very sensitive person. You know, I, um, I'm an emotional person. I really value checklists. <laughs> like love going <laughs> through the checklist. of like, this is what we got to do. This is your action item. This is my action item. I'm type A, you know, like talking through all of that in the beginning it sets us up for success, right? Rather than mm-hmm. I think in the beginning, we, we might've sort of stumbled through a little bit of that of like trying to figure out how can we, how do we communicate with one another um, in a productive way that also honors both of our, you know, personalities and our, and our goals. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I would like necessarily have done anything differently, but probably just would have been more self-aware from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? And then asking you to be self-aware and us to be self-aware together and then being being forthright about our own insecurities, our own aspirations, right? Like what are we nervous about? What do we what do we want this podcast to look like? I think we kind of just like dove in. We're like, let's do it. <laughs> we were so antsy to record. I remember our first recording. Oh my god. I gosh, was so excited. Like, oh my gosh, the energy of that first the energy was, was so, so fun. Amazing. But yeah. then it was like I ended up having to edit like pieces of it together. It was so stressful. And then I, you know, I felt like I was doing so much of that back end logistical stuff. And, and then we, we eventually talked through it, but you know, um, that is definitely something I would encourage other folks to think about when they're entering creative partnerships or doing something like that is just really getting a little organized from the beginning, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's fun. We talked a little about the podcast. Um, and kind of where we were versus where we are now. I mean, we're coming up on like almost a year, yeah. which is just wild. Um, okay. So you mentioned academia and, and I'm curious to hear, Sunny, how did you end up choosing the topic of your PhD and remind everyone what that topic is? <laughs> and like, was that something that you had wanted to do in college? Like you knew you were going to go pursue a PhD and you wanted to you know, pursue this career or is this something that kind of came to you, you know, in the last, you know, maybe year of, of your undergrad? As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I've started embracing the medicinal healing practice of Gua Sha, a traditional Chinese medicine that alleviates pain and tension in the jaw, neck, and upper back. In light of May's Mental Health Awareness Month, I'd like to highly recommend checking out Sandra Lanshin Chu's company, Lanshin, and the amazing sustainable products she offers. Her website, lanshin.com, L-A-N-S-H-I-N.com, offers treatments, tutorials, and a product shop. You can also find her on Instagram at treatmentbylanshin. The COVID-19 crisis in India has exponentially worsened in the last few weeks. As of May 4th, India has now reported more than 20 million coronavirus infections, and the country's health system is in a state of collapse as hospitals and clinics face dire shortages of beds, oxygen, and other life-saving supplies. If you have the ability to donate, we encourage you to do so at covid.giveindia.org.
If our show resonates with you, follow us on Instagram at areyouthere.universe. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We're so grateful for your support. So in undergrad, I had this philosophy that I would just do what I enjoyed, what brought me joy. And then at the Mm -hmm. end of four years, it would be revealed to me what I was good at and what I should pursue. That's amazing. (laughs) Oh, And that's just like, this is why I admired you so much in college because (laughs) I saw so many people who were just trying so hard to conform. You know, like, especially like the sorority fraternity culture. I dated someone when I, my freshman year who was in a fraternity and, and I go, I walk into the women's center and Sun Hey, <laughs> that's what I called you in, in college, was just like, fuck that. Like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Like, I'm going to do what I want, what makes me happy, what gives me joy. And you know what? That ends up also aligning with like, with like very important social justice values. And I'm like, you know, I want to be like that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's funny that you say that because I I similarly wanted to uh, conform to and whatnot. But I think for me, it was like a test of faith because I grew up Buddhist and part of the Buddhist philosophy is that, right? Like, Mm. um, I guess in in Tao, you would call it the way And Mm -hmm. so for me, I was just like, well, here's my chance to test that faith and try to do this thing, Um, even though obviously all my survival instincts were like, conform, like (laughs) (laughs) do the the consulting internships, like earn money during the summer. Yeah. And so I came to University of Michigan did not plan on doing Asian, anything related to Asian American studies. Really? Yeah, I I was super, I didn't even know it was a field. Hmm. Yeah, so I didn't even know it was an option until much later when I, um, when I was like, oh, actually, maybe I should do this thing. But it felt like a huge risk because it seemed like such a marginal field. Right. Like if right. Duke didn't have an Asian American studies department, right. like why should I pursue that? Um, but I did because at the end of the day, what was I curious about my spiritual journey, <laughs> right. which has to do with your, where your heritage and where you came from. So yeah. for me, it was about, again, um, pursuing something that would lead to self-discovery. And so I was like, well, I guess this is my one chance to really learn more about my heritage and what it mm-hmm. means to be Asian American woman. Cause I've never learned anything about that. And then, um, obviously I was always interested in sexuality. So I was like, wow, there's like almost no books about Asian American woman sexuality mm-hmm. and literature. So I started to write a dissertation about that. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, never before having, that much of a pull to Asian American history because I think we mentioned this kind of on a personal conversation, but I was drawn to the Women's Center because I always saw my my first mm-hmm. identity as being a woman. Mm-hmm. And that's also having had experiences, very unpleasant experiences with being a woman, you know, mm-hmm. um, and feeling very, very inspired and pulled to do gender violence prevention work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, based on past experiences, based on anecdotes I've heard from friends, et cetera. 
So to me, that was like the biggest identity factor. And I think what um, also essentially aligned me with other women who weren't Asian, right? Like it was kind of the solidarity, right? Like all women, you know, are, are kind of victims of patriarchy and men are victims of patriarchy. But in that particular circumstance, when we talk about like sexual assault, uh, stalking, et cetera. And in college, I never, ever was involved in anything remotely Asian. Right. Like the, there was, I think there was, I don't even remember what it was called. Like the Asian group, you know, like there, there was an Asian culture. There's like the black students Alliance. There's like the, you know, there's all these different groups and I was just, just never involved and didn't have that many Asian friends. I actually had a very diverse group of friends. I, you know, from a variety of backgrounds, but not that many Asian friends. Mm -hmm. And when I think this was in the aftermath of the Atlanta shootings, we were chatting about how Mm -hmm. like, oh, our work at the Women's Center also sort of allowed us to to align with whiteness, right? Because mm-hmm. like white women were also, you know, victims of, of, of sexual mm-hmm. assault, of domestic violence, right? And it wasn't until Atlanta that I think I really started to internalize, oh, like my identity as an Asian woman, mm-hmm. that intersection is very specific, right? And mm-hmm. you can't tease them apart. And so, you know, obviously since graduating, I'd become far more invested in that. And I will say, actually, I did minor in Chinese, which is funny Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I wanted to learn the language. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still, I think it was maybe throughout college, I started to finally like, you know, want to explore and to give that the the attention it deserved that I really ignored and invisibilized my entire adolescence. So anyways, just all really interesting. What state did you grow up in again? So, I mean, I, I grew up all over. That's another thing. I, I lived right. in Texas. I lived in Oklahoma. I lived in Ohio. I lived in Florida. That's all before right. Duke. And yeah. especially, in, I mean, I spent five years in Edmond, Oklahoma, where I was the only mm-hmm. Asian person that I could mm-hmm. see for miles. Right? Okay. <laughs> like, so I think I have this theory about how when you are a very marginal group of Asian American, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're so few. There's only like maybe five of you at yeah. school, right? You're yeah. you can't be a threat. Right. Right? Like that's why I felt protected by my invisibility in a way and that's why my racial consciousness was never very like developed. Mm-hmm. Um because how could I be a threat to white supremacy or whatever when I am yeah. such a minority? Yeah. And wow. and, and you're I, not even getting the brunt of the worst mm-hmm. of white supremacy right when we think about our the black community yeah right um whereas like in the coastal cities where asian americans can be like a pretty significant minority group even atlanta they they become threatening as a as a force right Right. and so i think not enough is said or known about asians in the middle of america right yeah and i do think there's a regional difference yeah it's it's fascinating i don't know if you've heard this but um, you know how folks have been using the word first they were using like POC, right? Person mm-hmm. of color. Mm-hmm. And then BIPOC came on, right? Black mm-hmm. indigenous per- person of color. And now the new term that's like, that's more widely accepted or becoming more widely accept- accepted is the global majority. Mm-hmm. And it's really specifically targeting the fact that like, we're actually not minorities anymore. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Like we are the global of the majority. world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then like, how most often you use the word underrepresented groups, but mm-hmm. 
the language that folks are trying to put forward is historically excluded. Because right? yeah. that's like or it's, historically it's, marginalized. It's, right. It's like it's acknowledging that the system that is mm-hmm. making that happen, like we have yeah. been excluded by others yeah. rather than we're just underrepresented. But mm-hmm. anyways, another good point about language and how yeah. it's, it evolves over time and and, yeah. and it differs in different spaces. So, well, yeah, that's why I became a English lit person. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of, you know, I lived with uh, Buddhism and meditation in my life. And so I was wondering if you could tell me more about your experience, like coming coming to that right without Mm -hmm. living with it I guess yeah what was that like and how has your relationship to it how has it changed with meditation specifically or with Buddhism meditation yeah mindfulness Mm -hmm. spirituality like however you want to define it yeah I mean it's it's interesting because I never really ever thought about that prior to having lost my job last year, right? And then doing Deepak Chopra's 21 Days of Abundance Mindfulness Journey. And it's funny when, if you were to ask me like, how is your meditation now versus before? Um, honestly, it's actually very much the same. I still can't really sit still for very long. And I'm, um, yeah, my mind is racing or I just get really antsy and I like just start like fidgeting and I can't, you know, so it's funny because that practice I would say hasn't improved vastly, but it's my mindset that is completely, I think improved. And I think that's, that is a huge key part of mindfulness and um, meditation. And, and as we mentioned in our last episode, like really taking stock of our environment and of the situational factors that I've been put into and understanding how I interact with that. You know, I also think like, because I fell into this when I had lost my job, which I tied so heavily towards my identity and my purpose, um, really disconnecting my, you know, value from my work production was like huge. I mean, that was just a world shift for me, right? Just, just that, thought. And so kind of coming out of that um, and being a little bit more at peace with just like my own humanity (laughs) that Mm -hmm. doesn't, that wasn't, you know, earning money at the time was the shift for me, you know? And so I'll continue practicing meditation and um, mindfulness. And I think a lot of my mindfulness practices are really just like giving myself the lunch break to just cook in silence, right? Or yeah, just like sitting and breathing and doing my gua sha now, my gua sha mm-hmm. practice. Where I'm just like I like put facial mist on and then some essential oils, and then I do the like the the facial massage is just so. And when I do that, I I just kind of like disappear into it, right? And I think that's also really great. And it's just, it's a form of mindfulness for me because it's the one thing I'm focusing on. Well, you know, there's this. Indian woman guru, I forget her name, which is really unfortunate. But the story is that she became enlightened because um, she she was like a wet nurse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and anytime she would wet nurse, she would enter that state that you're describing mm-hmm. with the and so it, it speaks to how meditation is um, is supposed to be integrated into your daily life. Yeah, it's yeah. not separate. Yeah. Right, right, right. So that's really cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, so we've been we've been sharing a little bit more about our 
paths and our rituals and stuff. And I'd love to end with a final question that we both can perhaps answer. Mm -hmm. And that is, how do you define or experience sisterhood? Mm -hmm. And thinking about maybe our friendship, thinking about our creative partnership, thinking about, you know, just kind of even in this past year when we've been in isolation, how have you been able to still hold on to that practice of sisterhood? I love that you describe sisterhood as a practice because I think that is really, that is another, maybe the biggest takeaway of our work Mm. together because going into it, I think we were both kind of blind to each other's like power, Mm. if that makes sense, right? Like, um, and how to negotiate the different powers we have, right? Like Jamie has um, greater expertise with communications and media, obviously. <laughs> and um, and I have my experience, my lifelong experience in mindfulness practices and my intellectual mm-hmm. expertise. Um, and so we were both negotiating that power dynamic um, Mm. and that mixture. And I'm really reminded of what Audre Lorde calls um, the uses of the erotic. Mm. And one of the key things she says about the erotic is about this, it's the challenge and joys of an exchange like that, of collaboration Mm -hmm. and being able to really face somebody who is different from you, who brings something very different than you and um, show up anyway, right? Like show up mm. to navigate and tease out those differences and how to deal with that, right? And and work yeah. together to accomplish something that ultimately benefits both of us, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, an, it's the erotic because we're both transformed by that engagement, by that intermixing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that what's required for that to happen in a really like thriving way is is compassion for one another mm-hmm. and compassion for ourselves right and recognizing that like the way i have engaged with others is going to it's going to be different from the way i engage with sunny right mm-hmm. and the way i've engaged um mm-hmm. on creative partnerships and other circumstances is going to be completely different because we're in a different time we're in a mm-hmm. pandemic we're only doing it virtually we're you know we're reconnecting after so many years. And so we have a very specific, unique circumstance here um, that we're coming into, into ourselves, right? And so I think like for me too, part of sisterhood is also rediscovering myself mm-hmm. in our relationship, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. through our, via our relationship, right? Like learning more about myself and and feeling like I can show up and be really authentic with you, um, even though I'm learning about myself as I'm doing it, you know, and it's like a little nerve wracking and, and scary. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, what you're saying really resonates with what this feminist spiritual scholar Lila Fernandez says about what knowledge really is, mm-hmm. like what, like universal knowledge is. Oftentimes people think about it as like objective truth that science can prove. <laughs> mm-hmm. But from a spiritual perspective, actually the uh, universal knowledge comes out in terms of mystery and mm-hmm. like a constant witnessing of um, 
that mystery being unveiled. And you, like you say, you're learning about yourself, your self-discovery is happening. And as that's happening, you're constantly confronting how you yourself is a never-ending mystery. Mm, yeah, I love that. There's always going to be more to discover about yourself. Right. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's amazing. It's just like so fun to discover that with somebody else who's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? and we're both like on in that place of discovery and of anticipation and of like kind of curiosity for what's to come, right? And that's like that harkens back to what we're talking about, like our inner child and the imagination we had as inner children, and now you know, how can we bring that forward and carry that forward with us as we continue to grow old, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think another big thing that maybe we're talking around too, is that you and I working on this podcast had some confrontations and Mm -hmm. we had conflict. And I think part of the erotic politics of sisterhood Mm. is about not being not shying away from yeah that discomfort and having faith that this discomfort will lead somewhere rich for both of us and it has right yeah yeah I mean to quote the amazing Sunny you you can't have growth without discomfort (laughs) <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's on an audiogram on one Instagram. Oh, so somewhere. funny. Uh, I, I I love that. I think that's such a beautiful way to end our episode this week. And oh. it's funny because we normally do a lot more planning, but today we were like, let's just interview each other because it's it's been a while since we've like really just dug into our own histories and in, in, in a very direct way. So thank you for <laughs> for for doing that with me yeah that was so fun so let's go ahead and move into our affirmations of the week sunny so just taking a breath here i care for myself i am because you are I am open to the mysteries of my becoming. Oh, I really love that last one. So beautiful. We Mm -hmm. are open to the mysteries come together of our becoming. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for engaging with that um, with me, Sunny. And we hope that you all got to take away something about us about our relationship and more importantly about you and so please continue to comment subscribe leave a review um share your questions with us we're we're so happy to engage with you and and the are you there universe community until next time bye bye Thank you for joining us on Are You There Universe, where we get to reimagine a new world together. We're so grateful to you and hope you can join us again next time to dive deeper into the intersections between social justice and spirituality. If you're curious about our other projects and extensions of this work, connect with us. We'd love to have you join our community on Instagram at areyouthere.universe. 
You can also find me, Sunny, at Sunny underscore Mystic, and find Jamie at Jamie Wu.